Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Holistic Course Radio. Dr. Joyce Harmon runs a veterinary practice, which is primarily equine. She practices complementary and alternative veterinary medicine using acupuncture, chiropractic, homeopathy, Chinese and Western herbs, and lots of nutritional medicine. Saddle fist fitting is a particular special interest of hers, and she has written two books and done two DVDs on the topic. Her philosophy in a nutshell, the best medicine is whatever works on that day and is the least invasive. Dr. Harmon? So dying it for an insulin-resistant horse can be a little complicated, partly because of some of the management issues we have with the on-farm situations, whether you have access to pasture that's been overly fertilized or too rich, whether you have access to whole grains or whole foods or the low-carbohydrate type foods, and and what access the horses have to exercise and companionship and young horses to keep them moving around out in the pastures. So all those factors go into it. What we need to look at is basically a high-fiber diet for the, the typical obese, insulin-resistant horse. And horses do not need grain in order to live. It is not a fact of life that we have to feed them grain. We feed them grain for us. We feed them grain so they'll come in and we can look at them and make sure they have four legs and no blood running down them. And because they like to come in and eat. But we can accomplish the grain part of the ration or the feeding part of the ration really with a handful of whole oats or whole barley and whatever supplements we might have them on because they are insulin resistant and some of the supplements things like flax or hemp you can feed four ounces of that so this poor insulin resistant horse thinks he's actually getting something to eat because he gets a handful of oats and a handful of or two handfuls of flax and that makes up plenty for them to eat the rest of their diet can be met by minerals and roughage Hemp is a it's a seed from the hemp plant, which is not marijuana. It is strictly hemp, and it has a better fatty acid profile than flax and actually would be better for many of these insulin-resistant horses than flax. Flax is much more available and much more common, and so you can use either one that you can get your hands on. You can use hemp oil, and you can use flax oil as well. So if we started from day one, say we got a full and it was a quarter horse, if we fed him properly from the beginning, grazed him properly from the beginning, do you think we'd have less insulin resistance horses? The key with starting one out young is that you do have genetics that's going to play into this. And so the horse that comes from basically an easy-keeping background genetically. So our ponies, our morgans, most of our quarter horses that aren't seven-eighths thoroughbred, and many of our warm-blood types of horses, those come from a genetic background where there was not much to eat in their ancestors' diet. 
And consequently, if we take these horses and put them into the chocolate factory of a gorgeous green pasture or a nonstop intake of high sugar hay, because some horses don't have access to pasture, and we don't exercise them, insulin resistance is going to show up. So if we want to start out right with the baby, what we need to do is have exercise as part of their life from the beginning, from day one, because the research shows very, very clearly that much of this can be prevented with exercise. So we need exercise, we need access to good whole foods and plenty of minerals. And minerals, most of the time, we're not going to get from our grains. We're not going to get from our haze because most of that's been grown on heavily processed soil and or is genetically modified, and we really don't have a good mineral content. So you have to supplement with minerals and not feed an overly rich diet at any point in time. What minerals should an insulin-resistant horse be getting? <clears throat> Insulin-resistant horses, in my experience, have a higher need or seem to have a higher need for minerals than the rest of the population. And the key is to be able to offer them both trace minerals and macro minerals. So the trace minerals are your little things like selenium and zinc and copper, and your macro minerals are things like calcium, magnesium, and phosphorus. We want to offer those to them without the influence of salt and offer them salt as a separate entity. When we add salt to our minerals, which is how your standard salt block is made and most of our mineral mixes, when we do that, the horses that don't want salt cannot eat enough minerals. And they won't, just as you won't eat your peas if they're too salty. And so we have to offer them that separation and let them pick what they want. In 15 years of looking at this, I find horses as a species do not eat much salt. When you first started out, you went to veterinary school. Did you go to veterinary school to become a holistic veterinarian or an allopathic veterinarian? Do you have any idea you'd end up where you are today? I actually had been exposed to acupuncture before I went to vet school, and I had also had an experience where I'd had seizures of unknown origin, and I learned about nutrition, and I um, went to vet school hoping kind of to learn a little bit and thinking there was another way, but I had no idea what that really entailed. Um, I knew that acupuncture existed and that was really about it and nutrition. And uh, obviously didn't learn much of that in vet school, but that gave me the foundation to build on later. Who had the seizures? I had the seizures. You personally did? Yeah. And so I, I, I learned about nutrition for my own self, trying to, to fix the seizures, which eventually got rid of through acupuncture and homeopathy. So what brought you into more acupuncture? What led you in that, down that path? Well, I, I was really interested in it, and I went to a seminar when I was working in England after I got out of vet school, and it just sold me on the fact that acupuncture has a lot of validity. And so I came home and I started experimenting with it and reading some books and eventually found the course and took, took the course and at that point decided that I was going to change my practice and just do acupuncture. At what point did you get chiropractic involved in your practice? 
Well, within the first couple of years, I realized that acupuncture didn't do everything. And I had been ex- got exposed to homeopathy during the acupuncture course, and I started dabbling with that. And then I found some classes and took those. So I, I started all of it in the early 90s, but the acupuncture was definitely the catalyst. The homeopathy classes that you got involved in, they must have been human because there was very few in the animal field back then, weren't there? There were very few classes, um, but there were was a couple of veterinary classes. Dr. Ed Schaefer probably pioneered some of the earliest veterinary classes. And actually, the official class that teaches veterinarians through the um, Academy of Veterinary Homeopathy, those classes originally started around 94, 95, I think. So how is your practice now? What is it? Is it primarily, is it all three modalities, or how do you, how do you function? I'm probably, uh, my, my hands-on work on my daily basis is acupuncture and chiropractic, saddle fitting, some herbs, and some homeopathy. And then um, another 25% of my practice is working over the phone, helping clients with nutrition, and we use a lot of homeopathics and Chinese herbs, and uh, is not hands-on. It's more homeopathy-based, but that's 25%. You recently came into a medical condition where you had to change up your, your, your practice a bit. What happened? I found out about a year ago that I had breast cancer, and I decided that I was working too hard and that I really needed to make some changes and slow down and learn how to smell the roses as well as to heal myself because if I kept going at the pace I was going, there was not going to be any way for me to to take the time to heal, as I tell all my clients. You know, you need to rest your horses. You need to, to back off of them, necess- not necessarily turn them out to pasture while they're healing, but to make their lives more pleasant, put less stress on them. So I had to live my own uh, prescription. Well, you are, and, and you're you basically you're not using allopathic medicine to, to combat the cancer. No, I have not been, and I'm hoping to avoid doing that. I'm working with um, a homeopath, and I'm working with Chinese herbs, and with a naturopath, and doing a lot of nutritional work. And there really is actually a tremendous amount of research for for cancers of all types, and particularly for breast cancers, with many of the alternative modalities. If uh, anyone is listening out there, where would you tell them to seek help like this? Obviously, you have connections, but most of us don't. That can be a very difficult thing, because partly because there's a lot of pressure on people to make decisions very quickly. And there certainly are cancers that are discovered late, and you really do have to take some quick action. And in those types of cancers, you may not have time to wait for the holistic methods to work anyway. But in most cases, we discover cancers at a stage where, especially breast cancer, which is one of the most common cancers in women, we discover it at a stage in which we have some time to think about things, to try and learn as much as we can, and then you need to start looking around for resources, and it's not always that easy. One of the best websites for resources is called cancerdecisions.com, and the uh, the researcher who puts on that site looks at all the research for conventional and alternative medicine, and there are also lists of doctors who do practice alternative medicine, 
most of his research supports the fact that alternative medicine really works and conventional medicine doesn't work too well, but at least it gives you all of the information that you need to make the decisions as to whether you want to do one or both. And many times we end up doing a combination of both. And there are a lot of things in alternative medicine that can support the conventional treatment and make it so that it doesn't wreck your body quite as much. Are you seeing any, is this helping you with the animals in cancer in the horses? Oh, yes. I've learned more about cancer than, <laughs> since horses don't get a lot of cancer. I have a lot of small animal colleagues who treat cancer on a daily basis because the dogs and cats, particularly some of the dogs, get a tremendous amount of cancer. But in the horse world, I've always treated a little bit because we have some, but I have never delved into it heavily because we don't have tremendous amounts. And uh, now I've looked at many, many different supplements and looked at the research that's behind it, and I'm definitely incorporating it into my cancer treatments with horses. And probably because the universe provides you with things you can work with, I will probably be seeing more cancer horses. <laughs> What would you say to women out there that have faced what you were faced with a year ago? I think the most important thing is to stop and think and not to go into a total panic mode. If your doctors try to push you faster than you want to move, then you need to take some time. Take a week, take a few weeks, study it. Um, Look at as many resources as you can that are high quality, and that's one of the reasons that I really recommend that website because there's, there is a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of promises. Oh, yeah, you know, we're going to cure every kind of cancer you have in three days or three weeks or six months or whatever, and that's not valid information. But if you start with that as your basis, then, and sit down and read it. You have to pay for the the report on your type of cancer, but it is the, it will be the best money that you spend. And take the time to read it and make your decisions and try not to let people force you into making decisions you're not comfortable with. And that includes your family and your friends as well as your doctors. Because your family and friends are often just as panicked as you are, if not more so, and everybody wants to tell you what to do and it's your body and it's your decisions and you have to stand really strongly for that.